0: All right, as you know, um, we have had a great three weeks of feasting on God's Word, and I'm excited again for the um, last Sunday in this season and the su- in the summer to invite um, our friend now, not only our friend, but this is home now, this is home now for you, um, to come and share with us um He has done a great job in sharing us in the last three weeks. In the last two weeks, this is week number three, and we are excited and we praise God for Dr. Jerry. Um, Also, we're going to be going back to um, talking about one another this coming week, so come prepared, and may God bless us as we hear from his word. Let me pray quickly for Jerry before we go. Lord, we thank you for your peace and your joy. I pray, Lord, that as Jerry speaks, that he would speak as the oracles of God. I pray that you put your word, the word that you've put in his mouth, would come out and bring life to us. We thank you and we give you praise. May the words of his mouth and meditations of his heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, our strength, our redeemer, and our rock, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. Amen.
1: Thank you. I'm going back to what Eldon told me when I first met him. Our people don't make lunch plans. It's a good thing, because when I came to visit before I spoke, I only had an hour, and I came, and the speaker never got up. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, this is how this church works. <laughs> Great stories. Oh, my gosh, thank you. You see what happens when people are desperate for the Lord. Because we have the Holy Spirit... And we have Jesus interceding for us to the Father. And when we're desperate, he said, yes, that's why I died, so that I could now be at the Father and pray for you and intercede for you. Uh, What a blessing to hear these stories. Thank you so much. That's so great. So I feel like we've already heard messages, but guess what? I've got one that God gave me to give to you. And I want to thank you for the three weeks that I've been here. It's been such a blessing uh, to be able to share God's Word with you and, and hopefully equip you as a body to take care of each other. Before I get into this, I've been sharing a little bit about me, so I have to show you this. That's my grandkids. Yeah. And that ain't all of them. I got one more. You don't have to count them. There's 16 there. I have 17. We never thought out of three children we'd have 17 grandkids. But my son has nine. Uh, Eight of them girls. Let's pray. (laughs) So between travel baseball and travel basketball and soccer and 4-H and gymnastics and swimming. <laughs> we're pretty busy. And as you've heard some folks say, you got to be retired just to get to everything. Um, but we are blessed. Our quiver is full, as they say. And thank God they're all in homes that love Jesus. Thank God for that. So now we're going to talk about, we've been talking about relationships We've been talking about one anothering. How can relationships help you produce more fruit? When I talk about fruit, I'm talking about how you use your gifts. You can look at Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and look at your gifts. If you're not using your gifts, this body is suffering. Because that's why you were given gifts, to equip the body to do the works of service. When I talk about fruit, I'm also talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How do you use that fruit in your relationship with others? So there's two passages we're going to look at to focus in on how relationships can help us bear fruit. The first one is in John 15, and I want you to read this with me if you can see it. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So you're probably familiar with this passage. Remain. Stay connected. Stay joined. When we do that, and our sin is confessed, the Holy Spirit has the freedom to flow from the branch into the, from the vine into the branch and produce fruit. Think about the Holy Spirit as the sap that brings life-giving to our branches and produces fruit. And it's organic. It happens naturally. When I first saw this passage, I was in a Bible study, and somebody said, what's your primary responsibility? And I said, to bear fruit. And they said, no, look at it again. It's to remain. It's to abide. It's to stay connected. When we do that, naturally and organically, the fruit comes. So think about what do you do to remain in the vine? What do you do to stay connected? What do you do to abide? How do you stay close to Jesus? Let me encourage you to practice some spiritual disciplines if you don't know much about spiritual disciplines, there's eight of them I listed here, and I would encourage you to check out this book, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. I have read this book more times than any book besides scripture. It's a fantastic book. It's got practical thing, practical applications at the end of every chapter, and there's 12 different disciplines, and each discipline has a corresponding freedom. If you've ever been disciplined in a certain area, you know that brings freedom. So here we have prayer, meditation, solitude, fasting, study, service, worship, which we do here wonderfully, and you can do it by yourself as well. You can do it in solitude. You can do it in praising God yourself. When I go into solitude, sometimes I take a hymn book. I take my Bible, I take a notebook, and I just sit and I let God love me. Oftentimes in solitude, I end up in Luke chapter 10, the passage with Mary and Martha, and I just sit before the Lord and say, Father, have I chosen what's best? Given my gifts, my space, my time, my age, have I chosen the best like Mary did? And then I just listen. So let me encourage you when you're remaining, when you're abiding, to practice some of these spiritual disciplines as a way to stay close to Jesus and allow the fruit to come through the vine into the branches and produce fruit. Well, there's another passage, and it's Luke 13. And if you can see this, read this with me, please. Jesus told this parable a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he went to look for fruit on it, but it didn't have any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now we're looking at your soil. Who's digging around in your soil? This guy said, hey, give me another year. I'll dig around it. I'll oxygenate it. I'll fertilize it. Who's doing that for you? You need people to do that in order to produce fruit. Who or what is in your soil? How are you caring for your soil? Who are you counting on to put nutrients in there? Maybe you have some toxic people or bad practices that are in your soil and you need to get rid of them. Now, I know we can't always choose the people we hang out with, but we can set boundaries. We can limit the time that they spend with us. We can choose to tell them that they're being harmful to our soil. We can spend more time away for them and spend time with God to, to fertilize and oxygenate, oxygenate our soil. So think about who's caring for your soil. Who are you letting in there, digging around, Are you getting good nutrients in there? Because that's how you produce fruit. Are you around people that love and accept you and care for you like there are in this congregation? They're the ones that are going to help your soil produce more fruit. Jesus gave us a great example because when he came and dwelt among us, the word dwelt means he came and tabernacled. Eugene Peterson in the message says he moved into the neighborhood. <laughs> what did he come with? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Happens to be the name of my private practice counseling in Huntington. I was so excited when I could get that name in the state of Indiana and count, call my counseling service that. We need this are nutrients now. We need support, encouragement, we need grace we need that dug up in our soil we also need truth we need people sometimes to challenge us we need people to give us wisdom and grace has to lead or truth will overwhelm us we've talked about this once you love and accept somebody you've learned relational equity and they can now hear the truth i used to tell my students Counseling is simply hand-holding and (laughs) butt-kicking and knowing when to do which. Some people need a little more hand-holding. Some people need a little more butt-kicking. We all grow best with support and challenge. We all grow best with grace and truth. So who's in your soil and who is bringing those nutrients Who's bringing the grace? Who's bringing the truth? And if we have people that are doing that and we limit the toxic people and toxic activities and practices that are not pleasing to God, then we're going to have fertile soil. And when we stay connected to the vine, that's going to allow us to produce fruit. And you're going to be able to use your gifts in a greater capacity to equip this body of Christ to do great work. Just like we heard takes place in the in as much group. So let's look at some of these nutrients. And some of these we've kind of talked about before, so it might be a little bit of review. First of all, we need understanding. We need people that really understand us. In a deep way. Remember, when we listen, we listen not just for content, we listen for tone, we listen for nonverbal, and we actually try to experience what that person is experiencing. That's attunement. And we feel what they're feeling. And as Dawn said, we see the face of God in their eyes because we're loving the way Jesus loved us. We need that understanding. Very closely connected to that is acceptance. We need to feel acceptance. I need to feel like you accept me, even parts of me that I don't understand, even parts of me that need to change, even parts of me that need to heal. Because those are not going to change if they stay unaccepted. If you can accept parts of me that I don't get, then maybe I can also accept them, and then God can move me along and change. But acceptance is so powerful. If we have understanding and acceptance, we can do a lot with those grace nutrients. And then we need encouragement. I need you to cheer me on. I need you to spur me on to love and good works. We talked about that last week with the First Thessalonians 5 and Hebrews 10. I need you to, to believe in me. I need you to know or communicate that I'm competent and I can handle the struggles that I have. And you can encourage me and stand beside me in order to do that. And these are the grace nutrients. And who is putting these into your soil? Who who is it? Who's, Who's digging around and putting these nutrients in there so you can produce more fruit? And remember, we need support and we need challenge, so we need truth. We need the grace so we feel understood and accepted and cheered on. And then we can hear, hey, there's things I think you need to look into. There's things I think you need to change. We need feedback. I need to hear from you. I need to hear how we're doing in our relationship. When I do therapy, I'm always checking with my client. What's it like for you to relate to me? What's it like for you to know that I'm feeling sadness right now because I know you're feeling that? What's that like? I give them that feedback. Because we all have blind spots, right? We have a limited ability to know ourselves. We need people to come alongside us, often our spouses, right, to point out things that we don't see. And from that feedback, we start to see, oh, I didn't, I didn't mean that. I didn't know I came across like that. That's not what I intended. In our counseling program, we inc- required all our students to go through a, an interpersonal therapy group where they would learn these things about themselves. And one of the things I would tell the students, and you can do this in your small group, it's a challenge, is tell the folks, what do I do and say that makes you want to move toward me? Toward me? And what do I do and say that makes you want to kind of push away? Wow. Wow. When you're ready to get feedback, that's really powerful. That's really important. And if you have people that love you, they'll tell you when you do this, I feel close to you and I feel safe. But when you do this, I kind of feel judged. And then I don't feel close to you. That's really important feedback. And that's part of the truth nutrient that we all need. We need to be challenged. Right? We're no longer slaves to sin, but we still sin. And when somebody's overtaken in a sin, Galatians 6 says, you who are spiritual, restore them gently. The word for restore means set a broken bone. That's what it means. You're setting a broken bone when you restore them. And you do it gently with love. Because if someone's caught in a sin, we want to be a part of that. We want to help them. We want to come alongside them and say, you're better than this. Jesus' death has freed you from this. And then we need wisdom. We don't want drive-bys to say, hey, you need to fix this. We need people who say, hey, I'm willing to work with you and help you and come alongside you and give you some wisdom on how to change That's a big part of truth, is being a part of the solution. So all this comes from safe people. In Jesus' model for grace and truth, when people bring you grace into your soil and nutrients, and when people bring truth into your nutrients, they need to be safe. And I know there's safe people here. I can tell as I watch you interact with each other, as I hear stories There's safe people here, and that's what you need to be for each other. So let's look a little closer into what safe people look like. And I want you to think about who do I have in my life that has some of these qualities? Do I have people in my life that will bring these grace nutrients? Do I have people in my life that will bring these truth nutrients to me? They may not have them all, but you should have a handful of people that have many of these qualities. And now we're going to look deeper into who's digging around in your soil. Are there people like this? People who accept you. People who love and care for you in spite of your weaknesses, in spite of your shortcomings. They still move towards you, even when you share something, a struggle. Remember, it's not a sin to struggle. Go back to James chapter 1 where we talked about that progression from a struggle to sin. We have to be able to share our struggles, and we need people that will help take care of those. Someone who supports what you desire, someone who supports your dreams. There's hardly anything more powerful than having a dream or a vision or an idea of how God wants to use me. And when you have people on your team that help to support you, Like we heard here, amazing dreams coming out of that program. It's fantastic. People that didn't have that and then they got it and how God has used them. Someone who makes you better. Someone who just makes you a better person. Someone who helps you love others better. Maybe you've had some people, it's like, Boy, they love each other so well. This guy, this woman, she loves people well. Get close to them. Ask them to help you how to learn how to love others better. Someone who helps you understand God's love. Every person you interact with has an opportunity to get to know God better just by interacting with you. What a challenge. Someone who brings both grace and truth, support and challenge, and somebody who's not worked to be around. You know what I mean? Oh, gosh. I'm exhausted when I spend time with him. He's so negative. He's so critical. Or I just have to watch everything I say because it gets misinterpreted. That's not a person that's going to help your soil. Now, again, we can't always choose this, (laughs) but we can limit and we can set boundaries. So these people are not so involved. So let's review. I've been here for three weeks. It started with this, okay, understanding God's plan for love. It came from the Father through Jesus, who's the exact representation of his being, Jesus then loved the disciples. He told the father, I've loved them with the love you've given me. Then he told the disciples in John 13, the way that I've loved you, you've got to love each other that way. And then the beloved disciple John wrote, when we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete. It's perfected. And that's full circle of God's love from the father through the son, Jesus to the disciples, the disciples to each other, and then us loving each other. That's the foundation. Then we talked about how do we win the battle for the mind, and we talked about learning scripture. We talked about the Holy Spirit. We talked about watching what we put into our minds. We talked about confession. Don't spend any more time on sin than it takes to confess it, and then accept God's forgiveness, accept God's cleansing we also said we can't believe that god loves us that much we can't believe it unless you love me that way i can't believe it but if you love me that way understanding and accepting and showing me love even with my struggles then maybe just maybe i'll start to think maybe god does love me like that that's how we really win the battle for the mind. And then we looked at communication and how we have to communicate with each other. And we, I told you that there's only two things in all creation that are God-breathed and eternal, God's word and people. So make these high priorities, right? God's word and people and communicate as people matter. Communicate as they're the capstone of God's creation. Communicate, prize them, treat them with great respect. Learn to be a great listener, a great encourager, and a graceful truth teller. That's going to help us better understand God's love for us. And then today we looked at relationships and how they can help us produce better fruit. By remaining in the vine, staying connected, And by taking care of our soil, that's kind of caring for our soul, right? Our soil and our soul. And watching who we let in there to dig that up and who's putting nutrients in there. And that's going to help you use your gifts better. That's going to help you evidence the fruit of the spirit more. And that's going to help this church grow and mature and make a difference in Fort Wayne. And I know you have safe people here that can do that. So I want to end with a story. This is a personal story. And it kind of illustrates what I've been trying to, to talk about over the last three weeks. Uh, I'm a recovering runner. Uh, I ran 20 miles a week for probably 22 years. So I ran probably 20,000 miles if I added all that up. And I also ran marathons. Now a marathon is 26.2 miles. I remember I told a student that once, and they said, Jerry, that's why we have cars. <laughs> and I thought, that's that's true. That's pretty wise. When you're training for a marathon, it takes a lot of time. It takes a variety of you have to do long runs. You have to do speed work. You have to do hill work. You have to do lifting. You have to do sometimes um, interval training. A lot of time to get ready to run that race. Um, So I had worked on this. My goal was to break four hours, get under four hours, which is about an eight-minute pace for 26 miles. That was my goal. Now I can't even probably walk a 15-minute mile. (laughs) But I trained hard, and I was feeling good, and I left, Uh, I brought another faculty member with me and my nine-year-old son, Jesse, the one with nine kids, and we headed out for Chicago. This is the fall of 1991. We got there, I put Jesse with some friends, and the race started, and the first half of the race was really fun. It was downtown Chicago, It was all these ethnic groups. It was Little Italy and Chinatown and all these places. And they had bands playing. And they had people out there cheering. And I'm just like, oh, this is great. I'm ahead of my pace. This feels so good. I'm running good. I'm running strong. It's an overcast day. It's cool, which is perfect for running. You don't want it warm. There's a little bit of a mist, but it's not bad. I get to the halfway point. And by the way, they have since changed the the course of this race. I'm glad they did. The second half of the race is up Lakeshore Drive, turn around, and down Lakeshore Drive. Not fun. There's nobody around. It's a little bit windy. Um, It started to rain a little more. And it's like, oh, gosh, this is really boring. But I'm on pace. I'm doing well. Here's the other problem. After I go up a couple miles, I see the leaders coming down (laughs) because they've already looped and they're coming now to the finish because I run a lot longer than those guys. The same distance, but a lot longer. And that's almost demoralizing. They look like they're running a 400 meter and I'm just kind of chugging along, you know, and here they come. Well, I get up to the top and I thought, okay, now I can turn around and come back down. I've got about six miles left. There's an old saying the second half of the marathon begins at mile 20. I'm running along. Now it starts to rain a little bit. I'm starting to get really tired. Probably got five, six miles left, but I'm good. I'm ahead of my pace. I'm still running getting harder, I get within those last couple miles and my my eyes start to close in a little bit. I'm starting to lose it. And I know what that feels like because I've lost it before and ended up in the ER in ice with IVs. So I know what this feels like and I can't stop it. And I'm trying to keep my pace. It feels like I'm lifting my legs like this and I'm probably just shuffling along like this. I'm I'm really hurting and I'm not sure I'm going to even finish. And I'm getting down to I don't even know. I can't even I don't even know where the mile markers are. I'm just I'm just moving my legs which I can't feel. And out of the blue I hear this little voice. Dad. Dad. It's getting louder. Dad. It's my son, Jesse, who broke away from the people watching him, and he's now on the race, okay? And I'm not yelling at him. I'm saying, oh, Jesse, thank you so much for being here. Talk to me. Help me get through this. He said, Dad, we're going to do it. We're going to make it through. It's going to be great. There's a lot of people in front of you, Dad, but there's a couple behind you, too. So keep going. Come on, Dad. You can do it. You can run. And I'm running. And I'm running, and I think I might see something in the distance. That's the finish line. I can't really tell. I can't see the clock. I get close to the finish line. I get a rush of adrenaline. Somebody pulls Jesse out of the race, and I finished. Three hours, 56 minutes, 34 seconds. I finished because of Jesse. I finished because of Jesse. And that's all I'm asking you to do. That's all I'm asking you to do is come alongside somebody that's struggling and run with them and help them finish their race. Father, we're desperate for you. We're also desperate for each other. And I pray even now that you would put in our minds somebody that's struggling, somebody that needs us to come alongside and help them finish a race. Father, there also may be people that we need to thank, people that have come alongside us in the past and helped us to stay the course, helped us to to stay connected, helped us in our soil. And maybe now's the time to write that letter or make that call and thank them because they helped us become more fruitful. Father, God bless this church. Help them to continue to grow and equip each other for the works of service in Fort Wayne. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.